Hello, you are at the net. And welcome, friends, to another episode of the At The Net podcast, powered by Tex-Mex Productions. Working the soundboards in the back of the house are our producers, D-Mac and Dave the Brain. Time to say hello to your hosts, Craig Bell and AJ Shabria, as they're about to take us through three sets of tennis, talking life and all the news as it seems to them. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig Bell. Okay, thanks to our At The Net podcast girl for that fabulous introduction, and welcome fans of the great game. You are listening to Season 1, Episode 23 of At The Net Podcast with AJC and CB1, a.k.a. Craig Bell, who are talking the great game of tennis as it seems to us. Thanks also go out to our good amigos at Tex-Mex Productions. That would be Darian D. Matt McGrayer and Dave the Brain DeLeo from back of the house who are on the soundboards moving the dials and buttons to make us sound like real people. We're, we're live tonight. We're we real. are real people. We're live and uh, yeah, I, proof. There we go. Proof. There yeah, go. Both okay. with our ATNP right. shirts right there. on. New, new yes. swag. Also, be sure to check out our good work on SoundCloud, Fireside, Spotify, iTunes, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, all the important communication sites that you kids find popular. And if you're a female... Sorry, guys, and would like to read the opening intro for At The Net Podcast and be an At The Net Girl. Let us know, as we're always looking for new female voices to do the intro. Even in a foreign language, and uh, we've got kind of a neat distinction tonight. Our guest is Margot Carter. She has not only done a liner note, she's she's actually a guest and a podcast uh, yes. at the Net Girl. That's the first. That's with the first. The, yeah, it's the first. It's, it's, first. A, it's so, totally first. So, Margot, welcome to At The Net with CB1 and AJC. Nice to have you on. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm absolutely honoured and so thrilled that you chose me to do an intro for you as well. Such a pleasure. Yeah, that, that's that's a, definitely a first. So, where are you where are you calling from tonight? Do we, you sound like you have a more of a distinguished accent from the mm-hmm. land across the, the the pond, so to speak. But I think you're here in the United States, aren't you? Yep, that's right. My accent is English, but I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, wow. Tennessee. Are you a fan of uh, country music? I enjoy it, yes, but a lot of people think it's just country music. It's actually all music here. It really yeah. is truly music city. And are you a fan of Zydeco music? Of what type of music? Uh, Zydeco. Zydeco, kind of New Orleans, That's New Orleans. Uh, Mississippi vibe. <laughs> I threw I threw a liner at you. I, just, I threw a fastball the other way at you. So yeah. I came left hand, center right hand. It's, it's I'm not familiar music. with that one. <laughs> if you've been down to, to Louisiana, that's they use the. Uh, a lot of uh, the, the washboard, the, the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. percussive. Yeah, sorry about that. I was yeah. that was that was me. Just uh, I bet it's only about a seven-hour drive from Nashville. Nashville yeah, down yeah. to uh, Shreveport uh, or New Orleans or Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge, yeah. yeah. So, but no, thanks yeah. for joining us. I played a twenty-five k in um, at LSU, so I've been down there once. You've been down to Baton Rouge. Oh, good, good. Yeah, great place to uh, to be, Baton Rouge. It's always nice that. Uh, uh, you know, Louisiana, our friends from Louisiana. Oh, just a second. I'll push that one. I'm going to hit yeah, one, hit one thing. There you go. All right. right. We're so on. Had technical difficulties again. Yeah, and we're back. We're back again. So we, we had uh, something uh, on the Facebook live stream uh, show up, pop up on us. But, but uh, Margo, tell us, how, how does somebody from across the pond uh, get over to uh, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee? What, what started you in the great game? Um, well, I came over here on a tennis scholarship, so I played at Tennessee Tech, and that was back in 2003. So did your parents get you involved in the game, you know, more specifically, or did oh. an aunt, uncle, you know, you just saw somebody, a hot guy maybe in London that was playing tennis like Andy Murray? I mean, Andy, yeah. he shows up, he thinks he's pretty pretty hot, isn't he? Uh, uh, I'm from uh, Scotland, but yeah, I, I'm... Uh, 
about the same age as Margo, so maybe maybe I was part you of this. You can influence Margo yeah. to play some tennis. So, Seriously, Margo, no, who, got, who got you started my, in, in tennis? My parents played when I was a kid, and I just wanted to be able to play with them. It's pretty simple. Uh-huh. At, at a club, did you hit the uh, like a, at a tennis club there, a country club? Uh, your public courts. Where, where, where did you uh, start your, your? I played everywhere and anywhere. Public courts, the club, um, until I was about nine and ten ish, and I started going to an academy because I had already decided at the age of six that I was going to win Wimbledon. Really? Um, wow. Yeah, age six? Oh yeah. Uh, I I remember very clearly being adamant that that was my destiny. Interesting. Were you one of the at the Lloyd Tennis Academy in uh, the England area? I know that that the Lloyd Tennis Academy. I think it's John Lloyd's brother, D- David Lloyd. David right? Lloyd has a, a, a big uh, influence on the tennis academies around the England area. Is that was that where you uh, grew up playing at one of the his academies? Uh, my, my academy was a private academy. It was called Match Point, uh-huh. and um, it was an hour's drive. But it was a great little academy that um, was one hundred percent private. So there was someone who just really loved tennis and um, his name was Chris Smith actually and his love of the game and wanting to create something for the juniors was actually really admirable. I look back on what he created now and I realise that if it wasn't for him and what he'd done um, I may have been struggling for facilities. There were actually no David Lloyd at that point near me. So, And what age did you really start playing you know, tennis, did you start at four or five hitting some tennis balls and then by age six you said you wanted to win Wimbledon? Or was it? <laughs> yeah, I started when I was five. Yeah. Do you think, is that good for kids? It just If people are watching, would you recommend that uh, people get started with their kids at that age or do, a little later in lo- you know, life? You know, kind of what's your thoughts on that? Honestly, uh, I think the most important thing is that at a young age your children are doing something that involves tracking flying object and running around running around like if it's playing catch or if it's learning how to juggle or if it's just you know throwing balls against the ball it's going to help their developmental pathway because so many of the key skills at that age are not necessarily specific to tennis they're just hand-eye coordination Mm -hmm. did did your parents did they were they tennis people per se or were they just average kind of club players that just like like tennis did they, were they advanced had they played uh, tennis in college possibly or high school or something like that um no they really just played recreational but i did have a pretty interesting influence further back my grandmother played uh county level tennis in england which is kind of equivalent to representing the state over mm-hmm. here and my great-grandmother this is actually a really really cool story. She actually qualified for Wimbledon back in the early 1930s. She wasn't wasn't able to compete because her husband was in the army and they ended up going to India um, this is back in the colonial times Mm. and she actually won a lot of trophies around India and um, I actually, my father has a few of these trophies and every time I would win a junior tournament he would give me one of her silver trophies from her various wins in India what was your your great grandmother's name Uh, her name was Elsie uh, the initials Mm -hmm. Elsie like 
um, and her last name was Elphinstone. Uh, I don't think there's anything on the world, world wide web about her or anything. Let's LC Elphinstone. That yeah. sounds awesome. Well, we, we, we would love to have her over. And, yeah. and has she probably won many rupees. This is Haji. She Haji, probably, yes. probably. Um, in India, did they play on? Did she play on grass courts or cow dung courts or hard courts back then? I think most of it was a grass, but mm. honestly, I'm not quite sure what they would have played on in India. Perhaps AJ can enlighten uh, yeah, us. Yeah, I mean, we've had a few guests. I've uh, I've been there as well, and they have some hard courts now. But in the in the old days, it was mostly cow dung or, like you said, grass. We mostly play on cow dung. <laughs> mostly, and then we go. We do not lick the balls though afterwards or our fingers. <laughs> Very detrimental to your health. It's funny you're talking about uh, starting at five and and wanting to win Wimbledon at six. Our, our guest on the podcast two nights ago, Wayne Bryan, was really big on the side door motivation that your great-grandfather and grandfather used, which were adult ma major real silver trophies rather than the ones that are only this big yeah. for 10-year-olds. Little medals. And he was really big on tracking movement and starting some sort of mastery at a very early age. A very early age, right. So you're, yeah. you're a natural follow-up to Friday's show, Margo. That's great. Yeah, this is very good. So then after that, you started playing around uh, England. Did you play junior tennis? Did you get a world ranking? Did you get an English ranking? Kind of what got you, you know, on the uh, radar screen of Tennessee Tech, let's say? Uh, I played at all of the junior-level tournaments, moving my way up to the national-level tournaments. So it was called the British Tour. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and I had some, I can't remember what it was, but I had the national ranking in England. Uh, and I, I didn't dabble with anything in the pro until I was 21. I, I actually wish I had earlier, instead of being so scared of the pro tour and, and seeing it as this revert thing that was for later on in life. I actually wish that I'd just jumped in head first and got a bit of experience at a younger age. Meaning before, um, before coming here to the States to college? Yeah, actually, yeah. because uh, honestly, by the time I got to that level, you know, I went to I went to college tennis, and actually, college tennis kind of killed me in my first year. It's a lot, and I had um, uh, oh, I had an injury uh, of tendonitis that started with a rotator cuff problem, and it basically ended up in my thumb. It went all the way down my arm. And so I actually took my first summer after college tennis off just because I needed a break. I needed to rehab my arm and I just, I kind of needed a break from tennis because it's a lot. College tennis is pretty intense. And then in my second year, I thought, oh, I should just go and play some more British tours. And then in my third year, I'd actually graduated and I thought, okay, it's time to start on the pro tour. And I had zero pro tour experience until that year. And I just threw myself into it at the age of 21. And it's almost like if I had started younger, I would have not feared those tournaments as much. I wouldn't have put them on quite such a pedestal. I would have mm. just been able to go, you know what, it's just another tennis tournament. But because I spent from the age of five to the age of 21 dreaming about these level of tournaments, I just put myself under all this unnecessary pressure. So I, I actually wish I had started earlier just to say, oh, it's just another tennis tournament. Who cares that it's got world ranking points attached to it? Mm -hmm. Did the um, were they part of the ITF circuit? Did you travel across over to Europe, playing like in France or Germany? Yeah, yeah. I think my very first tournament was actually in Bulgaria. Bulgaria, oh, wow. Yeah, I think if I remember rightly. 
I wondered, if, I, I wondered if you'd uh, play the European juniors and then probably some tournaments in France as you speak French just as well as English, right? Yeah, I did actually. Um, but it was really just a case of when we would go visit my grandmother in the south of France, mm -hmm. I would go and play a couple of clay court tournaments on the side of our oh, wow. summer holiday. It wasn't like, let's go tour in France. It was, it was just an opportunity for me to get a little bit of different experience. My parents never really said, right, you're going to be a tennis player. They never said, you must go and train at academy in France or whatever. It was just like, okay, while we're here, you can go and play some tennis if you want to. And I was like, yeah, I really want to. But yeah. it, was, it was very laid back. It was low pressure, for sure. Was, was uh, there a parent taking you to the events, or did you go by yourself? Like, usually there's somebody who stays back home, somebody usually... Uh, one of the parents, whether it's the mom or the dad, you know, travels with, with the junior. So in your case, like, would your dad stay working back home and your mom travel with you, or did they just send you out on your own? Go like, well, oh, okay, Margo, have fun. We'll see you in a couple, yeah. couple of days. Uh, so the moment I got to the pro tour, they were like, you're doing this on your own. Uh -huh. But prior to that, it was always my mother. But it was very, very rare that we went to tournaments that involved spending the night anywhere. We would always drive out in the morning and then drive back in the evening. Um, because local. my mother's very dedicated to her dogs and to the home life. And she would always cook dinner. And we would always have a family dinner every single night without fail. And so our life was very much revolved around um, a good home life. So even when we were traveling to tournaments, it was very rare that my mother and I would spend a night away in a hotel or anything. What a fantastic family uh, upbringing. That's neat. Beef Wellington and Yorkshire pudding and all the traditional English favorites? My mother is French. Oh, really? So, so more, Okay, so that's yeah. even elevated status. So what, what, what was her, like, what did she pass on to Margot that... Uh, uh, oh, my gosh. No, my mother is the best cook, and we would always eat French, all yes. sorts amazing french tion and uh mountain french mountain food and french stews and just all sorts of fantastic things my my i have this little apartment here in nashville but i have this absolute plethora of cookbooks and i love cooking and i it's it to me food is really important at the end of the day a good meal is just the absolute highlight of my day we'll, we'll touch on that later that's yeah. one of our rapid yeah. fire in the, in the yeah, third we'll, we'll get back to that yeah. that's yeah. very interesting no, that's so, good so do you speak french with an english accent or did you <laughs> <laughs> did, so, actually that's a very good question uh i have a little bit of an accent in french but people can't usually tell what it is interesting they okay they yeah. think i'm swiss or belgian or something I see. interesting yeah because i'm sure there's different dialects in france like you know the united states have oh, different yeah. different dialects and so I, that's why because you, you sound very british which is great i always yeah. think there's an air of uh, uh authority if a british accent comes on you know i'm like wow okay i, I start paying attention <laughs> for listen. some reason yeah. right but you then absolutely I should pay attention. Well, we, I mean, that's that's a one thousand years uh, history. Ever since the Magna Carta, everybody listens to them. That's right. Yeah. And then now to speak French with an English accent. That's why I was wondering if, if you lost the accent a little bit, or if, you know, I'm sure with your mom being French, she she spoke a lot of French to you. So, uh, but yet you're British at the same time. Both. That's great. A very confused person, right? <laughs> sound like it, it does come back so when i was traveling on tour i used to play a lot of tournaments in france and i remember that there was one period of time when i was in france for about six weeks and at the beginning they would say oh you have an accent are you swiss or are you belgian and then um by the by the end of that six week period they would say 
you have an accent, but I can't tell where in France you're from. So I consider nice. that a win. Yeah, that's they think progress. Right, but they're not sure where, then we're getting there. And uh, that kind of progress, it must mean that you went three or four rounds in that tournament, right? Well, I, I this particular story, I was in France for six weeks. Oh, so, yes. Uh, I think I did, I think I was in the quarters or the semis in Biarritz. Mm. I, I can't remember, in 25K. I think it was somewhere in that story. I liked playing tournaments. My favorite place to play tournaments was... Um, France and the USA. Those are my two favorite countries to play tournaments. Yeah, what's not to like? Yeah. Right. Now, I'm sure your French accent gets better after a couple of bottles of wine, right? Also, too? Oh, of course. <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> like, uh, like my table tennis game. Right. Much better after a beer, too. That's right. Yeah. But, but anyway, okay, so so did the coach at Tennessee Tech, now, now we're to switch back over here to yeah, college. college here in so, so what got you over to Tennessee Tech. I'm sure you might have had some other opportunities as well. What was the defining part about Tennessee Tech that you really wanted to play uh, for the Golden Eagles? Is yeah, that the Golden yeah. Eagles, right. Cookville, Tennessee. Yeah. Right. So, actually, it's, it's a rather sad story when you think about my recruiting pathway. I was not, I was one rating level too low to be looked at by the big schools. Or so I was told by the person who was helping me find scholarship. And so I applied to schools that were all Div 1 and were at the lower levels of the the rankings. And then all of those schools couldn't afford to fly me out on a recruiting trip. So it was all done on the phone. And then you sort of have your list of schools that you like. And then you have your list of schools that you don't like and then you've got the in-betweeners and what happens is as you get closer and closer to signing day or at least times things may have changed by now this is 16 years now but as you get closer and closer to signing day you start getting phone calls from these schools saying oh we ran out of money or oh never mind sorry it didn't work out and you get these really vague stories as to why it's not working and you're thinking well that's unfortunate because you were my top school and then you were my top school and then suddenly it, it came down to it and and the coach at Tennessee Tech called and said I am offering you a scholarship and my parents were like well, you could say yes. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't think I want to go to the school, but I don't know what's going to happen. And what if I say no and then I don't get anything? Mm. So I said yes. And to be perfectly honest, I sat down and cried because um, Tennessee Tech had not sent me a big glossy brochure. They had simply sent me an aerial view map of the university. And unfortunately, this picture was taken in winter when all the grass is dead. <laughs> Brown and grass. It, it looked awful. And I just sat down and thought, where have I just committed the next four years of my life to? Mm. Um, Now, it turns out that the city of Cookville is absolutely charming and the people are lovely and it is a great school. And I was actually very lucky in where I ended up. But at that moment in time, I really didn't know. And it didn't look great. (laughs) But it's just kind of the nature of the recruiting system if you're not about to get recruited by a big school. Did you... do you, in England, let me peel back just just for a second. Did you know about college American tennis? Did, were you aware of uh, of what was taking place over here, or did you? No, back then it was very different. And I would get this magazine once a month from you know, the equivalent of the magazines we get. Sure. Some month 
in the industry. And there was a very small article that said, get a scholarship in the USA. And I saw it when I was 16. I remember really clearly. And I thought, ooh, that sounds fun. And I remember going, because, you know, at that age, you're sort of thinking what your life's going to look like. And mm. I actually wanted to be a vet as well. So I was looking at vet schools in the UK. But I also wanted to be a tennis player. And, and I saw this, and I, went, I remember really clearly going and showing it to my mother. And she going, you know, dismissing it. Absolutely. And then uh, we were at a tournament a couple of weeks later and this girl that was a couple of years older than me um, was playing and I was playing and my mother was talking to her father, I think. And and at the end of my match, my mother said, you know, I've heard about this opportunity in the USA. And I remember thinking, I already told you about this a month ago. <laughs> And, and you told me it was a ridiculous idea. So when she came back and said, I've heard about this great opportunity, I just was like, oh, yeah, okay, let's do some research. Yeah. It kind of grew from there because I guess back then, you know, the internet was not very prevalent. YouTube didn't exist. And we, we didn't, I didn't really know what I was signing myself up for. And I, I didn't know about this opportunity really until um, just the year before. And some of my friends who were a year older all got scholarships out there. And they were going at other places as well. Nobody came to Tennessee Tech, I would imagine. Actually, really interestingly enough, a couple of people came to Tennessee Tech after me. They but did. No one came from my club, but mm-hmm. before me, everything was scattered. You started the Golden Eagles trend over in England, huh? Uh, yeah, we yeah. had two guys from my club come to Tennessee Tech after me. Okay. Yeah, and then so so you came over here, you played college tennis, you probably had a great time, and uh, you know, did well, and you know, played some more. Did you go back and try to play professional tennis? Uh, yeah, so I so I graduated in three years. And after I graduated, I thought, right, that's it. It's time to go pro. Uh, so I played that summer. And uh, then the new coach uh, said, no, we really need you to come back. Because my whole team graduated and had no players. So they, they convinced me to come back and play my fourth year. And I really threw myself into that fourth year as like, or preparation time. So, Did you uh, yeah, so that was 2006. I played that summer, and then I started spring of 2007 on the pro tour. I did 2007 and the whole of 2008, and then my parents said they couldn't fund it anymore. Did Did, did you get a master during that that? Fourth year, basically. I mean, it's a senior year, but did you did you did you? Yeah. Take, what what, what did, you did you study yeah. in that uh, fourth year of eligibility? Yeah, so I did. I started my master's degree in environmental biology, which I finished oh. in 2009 and Congrats. 10, yeah. 11. Uh, and I was the assistant coach during the time that I went back to finish it. Very nice. Yes. Okay, so when you went back on the on the pro tour, did, uh, did you play for a couple of years? Where, where was your favorite tournament, just out of curiosity? Where did you really like? I know you said you enjoyed playing in France, but... Was there? Did you play all over the world? Did you go down to you know, Africa? Did you go over to Asia, South, Asia, Asia, South Australia. America? Where, where all did you travel to? Just out of um, So that's a really good question, and a lot of people like to travel to some question. obscure places. But I found that despite the fact that the French and the U.S. tournaments were a lot harder to get into and the competition was harder Mm. um i found that i had a better chance of winning when i was just generally feeling happy Mm -hmm. and i generally feel happy in countries that i am comfortable in so i chose for the most part to stay in 
Western Europe and the USA mm-hmm. because I just I didn't want the added stress of being in Africa or I'd heard some stories I'd heard some really awful stories from girls on the tour and I just thought I don't think I need that mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to help me win uh, so yeah I, I just chose to stay pretty much within you know Spain Italy France Portugal Bulgaria England and the USA mm-hmm. kind of some west coast European countries and England and then, and then the U.S. Did, did anybody travel with you? Did you have a coach or did you just kind of on your own? Uh, no, I was just on my own. I've got some some interesting stories, you know, just me lost in Portugal with my tennis rackets on my back in the middle of nowhere trying to find my way to the next tournament. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of stuff like that happened. Um, and I, I gave myself some interesting nerve pain too because there was one six-week period where I traveled with everything in my sort of nine-racket tennis bag because I was traveling on all the EasyJet flights, which is, you know, the, the cheapest flights and you weren't allowed much luggage. And uh, it was it was interesting. I, I remember quite clearly washing my socks by hand <laughs> and they didn't quite dry. And so I put them in a plastic bag and I put them in my tennis bag oh. and I flew to the tournament and by the time I'd arrived, everything in my bag smelt like socks. Oh. <laughs> and <clears throat> I then went on to wash my stuff by hand 15 times again and couldn't get rid of the smell. I smelled so bad all week. I felt so sorry for my doubles partner that week. Uh, oh. It was a nightmare. And when I got home, even my mother had to wash all my stuff three times in the in the proper washing room. <laughs> in the real uh, washer, yeah. To get the smell out. So, yeah, there, there have been some... What do they call it? A character building experience. <laughs> right, there you go. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. lots of fun. Yeah, I'm sure there's uh, lots of stories from other people just similar. It's it's not always a glamorous life out there trying to make it through the minor leagues of professional yeah. tennis. You, you really no, have to struggle. It's definitely not. <laughs> but, well, but but also it's it's fun. You you think back on that, you probably would still do it again, wouldn't you? Oh my gosh, in a heartbeat. It was a fantastic time. It was terrible, but it was fantastic. I mean, I was chasing <laughs> terrible, my dreams. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, what was your, like I said, what was your favorite uh, tournament out of there? Just just out of curiosity. If you could do it again, probably one that you won a few rounds or won, won the tournament. Is there one that sticks out in particular? Yeah, and I don't know that I had particularly good success, but I really enjoyed the the tournament down in Montpellier in the south of France. It's actually where that picture that you've been using to promote me was taken. Yes, south of France. Uh, I saw it with uh, on red clay, and you're smacking yeah. a huge forehand in that photo. Oh, yeah, yeah. they were just really well organized, and they really looked after the players well at that tournament. Yes, that, that was a big forehand. You were coming up in the, out of the air. Yeah, yeah. yeah she's yeah. both strong, feet off the ground. Strong, yeah. tall girl. She crushes the ball. Yeah, yeah. So, after, yeah. So now, after a couple of years on the tour, and and did you did you always have a residence there in Cookville, or did you did you uh, move in and out of your parents' house? You know, because you probably weren't home much. So, did you were you out of the U.S. or were you more out of base out of England? Uh, honestly. Okay. I feel like I just lived out of a suitcase for the mm-hmm. last 15 years of my life. I actually... So somebody really, trying, you know, somebody's trying been, to send you a Christmas card. Would they send you a Christmas card at home in England or, or there in Tennessee? Yeah, so I have technically 
basically never moved out of my parents' house. Okay. I still have a bedroom. In, in, well, my parents live in France now, and they're remodeling a house there. Mm-hmm. And they are remodeling one room and the bathroom to my specifications, because it's, it's still going to be my room, because <laughs> I've is. never really moved. <laughs> she is. And folks she at home, it's... have an apartment here in Nashville. It's still, like, that's still home base. And folks at home, it's the cutest thing. She, uh, Margot talks to her parents... Every day. How many times? Once? Uh, I think I called my mother three times today. <laughs> three times already? <laughs> That's adorable. And, well, we talk about all sorts. Like, I ask for a recipe, or uh, I just call to chat, or we... Actually, it's a lot about cooking. I'll be like, yeah. I need a recipe for this. And then we'll, like, FaceTime while we're cooking. You together. know, this is, the, this is our second cooking reference, so let's just get to the question that we would have done in the third set. We've got to do now. One of the questions that we we asked almost everybody is, what do you enjoy most, cooking, eating, or drinking? And I think we know the answer. I don't know, but I love to cook because yeah. I love to eat what I cook. Oh, so it's kind of two answers there. Right. And uh, yeah. what, what, what do you like to cook? What, yeah, which cuisine? What, if we were coming over to your house yeah, and you're going to make your best meal, because we're the best, your best friends now. We're your new best friends. <laughs> well, what are you going to cook us, just, just out of curiosity, so that way I'll know I'm coming over? Yeah. Well, it depends what time of the year it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, tomorrow. So winter. Well, in the winter, I would do I'd probably do a tussie flat, which is where you um, you slice up the potatoes really thinly and you cook them with onions and bacon, mm-hmm. and they get all nice and toasty in the frying pan, and then you put them in uh, a dish and you put a big hunk of roblechon, which is a big, stinky, creamy cheese on top. Roblechon. Kind and of like then you put it in sauce? the oven for like an hour and all the cheese goes all toasty and the potatoes mm. get all baked in with all the bacon and the onions and the creamy, cheesy goodness and it's delicious. And, it, and it's fat-free, right? <laughs> <laughs> 50 calories? Oh, yeah. It's negative calories. <laughs> do, do, do you have a glass of wine with that, a favorite uh a Bordeaux, do we have, what, what do we have to drink with this? Well, a tarty flex is a mountain meal from the Alps, so okay. you're going to want to have something sort of, you know, a vin, vin to go with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that, that's great. That, that's, that sounds pretty good. That's, yeah. we, I, uh, 7 o'clock tomorrow night, we'll, yeah. we'll be there. We'll yeah. be there. Yeah, we're, we're coming good. to Nashville. We're, we're, we're going to get in the plane right now. After quick, we get dri- to, I uh, think you say quick drive. Uh, no, well, I'll fly over yeah, this okay. one. I, I don't like will. to fly. So we'll, 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 Anything we'll, you want. Anytime you're anywhere near Nashville, just give me a call and I will cook you dinner. You're no on, kid. You are definitely on. So a follow-up to that question that we asked about cooking, eating, drinking. Yeah. Uh, who are the four people, minimal four, and it, it could be a maximum of who, how many ever, who are the, the four people you would invite to dinner besides Adrian and I? Yeah. You know, so don't don't count us. But but who would who would you like to invite? You know, any it could be from historical back. You know, three thousand years ago. It could be you know uh, somebody that you knew, like your best friend from England. Yeah. Who who are, who are the four people at least that uh, Margot Carter invites to the dinner table? That is a really interesting question. Um, yeah, we, we like I to do that. Really, we, we, we okay, I would really like to meet um, Miranda Lambert, actually. Miranda Lambert, Lambert. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, she's yeah. one of the few celebrities that I haven't bumped into here in Nashville. Right. I'd like to, uh, I actually live next door to Dolly Parton. Dolly I've Parton. also met her. I think she's an absolute legend. Yes, yes. 
totally. I'd love to talk to her for a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, and then two other people. Oh, I would, I would, uh, we're going like historical too, you right? Like to anywhere. Anywhere yeah. current yeah. Or, or past. Right. It's your, Actually, your, your I honestly table. think put Winston Churchill and Dolly Parton next to each other at the dinner table, yeah, that would yeah. be really Maybe. entertaining. They'd be friends, no question. <laughs> I, I think like they Dolly. would. Yeah. Dolly's um, interesting. I, I've heard her on a number of talk shows. I do. Okay, so Winston Dolly, Miranda Lambert, who else? Freddie Mercury. Oh, oh Queen. Queen. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Are you a Queen fan? You, you yes. Favorite Queen song? Don't Stop Me Now. Don't Stop, Don't me, stop now. me Now. Yeah. That's good stuff. I like that. I, was, I thought you might say Bohemian Rhapsody or... That's a know, big one, yeah. yeah. Hey, Don't Stop Me Now is the song. It is just... When that song comes on, everyone has to stop. Yeah. Have to sing along and probably dance. Everybody freaks and probably yeah. dance and sing. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. um. Well, I actually, it happened earlier. I was having dinner in one of the bars around the corner, and that song came on, and I was like, "Everybody, stand back." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there goes Margot. She's she did some Freddie Mercury dancing. <laughs> That's great. Up on stage. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Nashville, how many uh, celebrity sightings per week would you say you you have? You're right in town. Okay. You're in there. Yeah. yeah. I'm in a pretty cool little neighborhood. It's called 12th South, and it's mm -hmm. a little row of bars and restaurants, and there's a lot of activity here. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so now, now we're back to tennis again for just a okay. second. We'll, we'll, shift we'll, we'll shift back, and then yeah. we'll save some of the other questions that we have here for later. Uh, let's fast forward. You know, After you're off the tour, what, what are you doing now? Are, are you teaching tennis at a club? Are you yeah. wanting to give back You know, you know to maybe uh, the Nashville Tennis Association, college tennis, you know, kind of where, where are you thinking that, that once you uh, get through with the tour, what are, you, what are you thinking about doing? Well, I've started my own business. Um, it's called Spherical Yellow, and the premise is primarily tennis coaching, mm -hmm. but the ethos is to, honestly, the ethos is that every single person that plays tennis and enjoys tennis has helps to create the whole world of tennis. Everyone that loves the sport or steps on the court helps to create our lives as tennis coaches and helps to create the lives of the pros. And whether you're struggling or whether you're the highest level, it's thanks to the fans and the, and the players at a recreational level. So when I go to a tennis court and I have a kid that wants to learn or an adult, it's my mission to get them to fall in love with this sport that has given me this amazing life. So the whole premise of my business is to make sure that you are enjoying yourself and having a good time and falling in love with tennis. Hence the, now, name, hence the name Spherical <laughs> Yellow. It's, a, it's really all of us. And, it's, yeah. uh, and mind you, her, her logo is really cool. It's a bit like ours, but uh, right. there's some motion to it and it's spinning. And I think that's part of your ethos, too. And speaking of the word ethos, how many people her age use the word ethos and drive a manual transmission Jeep? Uh, one. That's the smallest Venn diagram in the country. <laughs> right. That's a big word, ethos. Yeah. Man, I, I had to think about that for a second. Nice like, going, kid. Yeah. I very, thought very... everyone needed to know their company's ethos. No? Isn't that like the first thing you do when you found a company? You figure out your ethos? Yeah, what's you your do? ethos? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say mission statement, but that's so pedestrian. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. how boring. Wow. Ethos yeah. sounds better, especially from an English sound. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's the it best. It sounds very authentic. It's here. the best. Oh, and back to celebrity sightings. We've got 
a comment from our mutual friend Brian Connor. We spent uh, some time with him in Arizona a, week, a month or two ago. He says, maybe see Elvis? Because Memphis isn't that far away, right? Yeah, I mean, you can go visit Graceland. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen Elvis. Yeah. Um, but I have seen some statues of him downtown on Broadway. Oh, good. Oh. Brian, good comment there. Thanks, buddy. So, so now, the, the, are you teaching mostly ladies, juniors, you know, high-level players, uh, low-level players? Yeah, with spherically all of them. What do you Mostly middle school players. Kids that want to make the middle school team is, is really where I have most, most of my fun. Do you have a certain philosophy other than uh, getting out and having fun? Is there something that uh, – I know that, that you met Adrian at the Tennis Congress, so that, that puts you in – fairly rare air. Somebody knows who you are. So I'm interested in your, in your coaching philosophy about uh, about tennis and, and what you kind of like to specialize with because not everybody gets invited to Tennis Congress and that's a big deal. Yeah, I was so honored to be invited to Tennis Congress. It was a phenomenal time. Uh, so what was that, that question though? Well, My... what's, your, what's, your, what's your philosophy? I mean, somebody... Yeah, you had you had to come on somebody's radar screen in order to get there. So oh, she's she's good, not right. just as a player, but as a, as a teaching right. pro. Yeah, let's yeah. get a feel uh, yeah. now. Love, love to get a feel for how you coach uh, young folks. What, what's your ethos statement for you for, for uh, your te- teaching philosophy? See, see, I worked that That's in, didn't nice. I? Very good. Uh, just a little. Yeah, subtle. it was really good. Um, so my my philosophy is my methods of communication, and I like to make sure that. Every time that I communicate with someone, I'm focusing on phrasing things in a positive way. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean simply be a cheerleader, but it it means that I'm always trying to phrase things as a solution rather Mm -hmm. than as a problem. Um, So positive and adaptability, I think, is key. I think, And I think this is probably a little bit to do with the fact that I grew up in a bilingual household, but I try to rephrase or change the way I say things by watching how what I say is interpreted so for example you're fixing someone's forehand and you're telling them you know to okay there's there are multiple different ways that you can phrase things but when you explain one thing you have to watch to see how it's interpreted and if it works great if it doesn't you can change it and then you can change it again and then suddenly one thing's going to click and, and then you say to the person, okay, that thing that just clicked needs to be what you're thinking about. So positive, adaptable uh, questions is the third part of my ethos when it comes to my methods for coaching. And questions for me means that I am not standing up and preaching. I ask people questions in a guided manner that helps them to actually find the solution themselves. And that does a couple of things. It, it it empowers people to realize that they can actually solve their own problems oftentimes. So you're empowering people, but also you're not just standing up there and telling them what to do. You're allowing them to figure it out. So it's, it's like my little, my, my mantra for coaching is PAQ, uh, positive adaptable questions. And uh, with PAQ, their retention uh, goes sky high, doesn't it? Yes. There's a lot of science behind it. I've actually done a couple of presentations on it, and I'm in the middle of writing an article on it, too. It's, uh, it's kind of fun. I enjoy it. I enjoy exploring the science behind these things. Right. Uh, très bien. Nice uh, answer about coaching. Let's switch gears over to speaking, because you do 
some podcast work, some voiceover work, and speaking at conferences. Uh, I guess this is a two-part question. Tell us about your methods doing that, and tell us how you managed to juggle Spherical Yellow, teaching at a club, and speaking and traveling. Right. Uh, what was the first question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, m- methods for um, uh, for speaking and writing, meaning not just coaching, but speaking to other coaches. Oh. Um, when you go so to these seminars. It's quite interesting, actually. Uh, I like to just explore, have ideas on the tennis court, yeah. and I'm that coach that will suddenly look at someone, spew out something really philosophical, and go, wow, I don't know where that came from, but I have to write it down. And all of the people I work with know this about me now. And I'll run off to the side of the court, make a couple notes and come back. And out of those notes, ideas are born that can turn into presentations or articles. Uh, but and, and honestly, they come from helping people. Like when I'm on the tennis court and someone is asking a question and I'm in the middle of answering, and suddenly I hear these really philosophical words pouring out of my mouth. And I'm like, where did that come from? But that was great. I have to write it down. Because you're brilliant. So yeah. My, my inspiration, really. Did, did Tim Hinman, Judy Murray, did they have some influences on your, your coaching, your speaking? Who, who were really kind of, as you drill, you know, drill back here a couple of layers of the onion here, peel back, who really was uh, college coach, uh, Chris, Chris Smith, you know, your, your coach over in... Yeah, who in, are your, who be your big influences yeah. growing up and uh, and as an adult, too? I definitely watched Tim Henman as a child a lot. Yeah, in the um, 90s. I, I was very sympathetic for him because he used to get a lot of bad press for only ever making the quarters and semis at Wimbledon in the Sampras era. And actually, he deserved far more respect than he got from the press. So there was that. Um, This is going to sound kind of a little off the wall, but I really idolized Anna Kornikova too. He was fantastic. She got to the semis of the main draw in singles in Wimbledon. She did. That girl could play, and she. World doubles, and I actually got her autograph when I was 10 and she was 14 at Wimbledon. So I thought she was pretty special. She's only four years older than you. Wow. Interesting. I know. I know. Um, and I actually have all her dresses, but I still crack out for charity events. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Virginia White, did she, uh, or Jenny, did she uh, have any influence on you? We were going even further back, you know, first English lady to win Wimbledon in the 70s? I think it was... No, I've got to admit, if you're going further back, it's going to be my great-grandmother and the stories of her playing in India. That yeah, really if we're gonna go, yeah, if we're going to go further back, it's LC. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, so... No, no, nothing, nothing from Virginia White, I guess. Did you, did you ever meet her? Just out of curiosity, did you ever meet? No, her? no, never did. Tim Hinman, did you ever meet Tim, gentleman Tim? No. no. Not Tiger Tim. No, Tiger Tim. Judy Murray, no. the Murrays. I have met Judy Murray, but I actually met her far more recently uh, in New York. I did her mishits course actually oh. just a couple weeks. Ago. Yeah. Yes, right. that was in uh, in con- connection with uh, Women's Tennis uh, Coaching Association, right? Yeah, that's correct. Oh, good. What was that like uh, to work with her and Miss Hits? Oh, she's great. She's I love funny, the way huh? she commands the room and she's so quiet and everyone just is silent and listens. It's really, really great way of commanding a room. She does a really good job of that. 
smart lady, Judy Murray. Yeah, so very... opposite of me. I'm really noisy. I'm like, hey, everyone, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, even the way you move, it's very American and uh, extroverted. Yeah, <laughs> we see more of that here, not Judy. We understand that after the tennis congress, you were in L.A. for a big tennis event. How'd that go? Um. Oh, it was a lot of fun. What were you doing there? Yeah, tell, tell, tell us about it. Tell us about it. Uh, so I went for an event called the Glam Slam, and uh, it's it's a lot like Tennis Congress in that uh, the ladies sign up for three days of intense coaching mm-hmm. and teamwork building, but it's a smaller scale. So we had only six coaches and I think maybe somewhere between 20 and 30 players, and it's only for women. So it was very much based on all levels of doubles play and how to become a better doubles player, but also how to become a better doubles partner and team player. And there was a lot about communication as well. And it was really, really fun time at the Riviera Club in oh, yeah, LA. Yeah, Los Angeles, yeah. yeah. Pretty posh. Yeah. Pretty tall cotton, as yeah. we say here in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we understand that you got to meet Billie Jean King as well. Is that correct? You've, you've met uh, the great legendary Billie Jean King? I was lucky enough to get her autograph, and uh, I didn't really get to meet her per se, but I did get to jump down and, and ask for her autograph and try not to get weak at the knees. I'm sure. <laughs> what a legend for all of us. Uh, it's a huge, huge role model. Um, was there a conversation, or was she just gracious and signed for you? She was very gracious, and she signed the shoes, but there wasn't really much of a chat, unfortunately. She signed shoes, I'm guessing... Uh, uh, cool retro Adidas's that she used to wear? What, what kind were they? Uh, so, actually, I got them last year at the U.S. Open, uh-huh. um, and they were a, a kind of a copy of the original retro Adidas that she used to wear. Cool. Yeah, those were some, yeah, those were some sweet shoes. They were the Stan Smiths. But yeah. they were oh, they were Stan's. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Very similar. Yeah. I've, got, I've yeah. got two pairs of Stan Smiths, yeah. one green, one blue, but... Maybe I'll get a white and blue like uh, like Billy used to wear. Yeah, because in, in that movie, because she she it was very similar to to the Stan Smith. I remember watching her her movie. And it it kind of threw me back. Cause that's my era. I, I hate to say I'm old. Yeah, I'm he's old, nine I'm years old, ahead of me. This I, guy, I'm an old guy, and I remember watching the Battle of the Sexes. I remember those shoes. And I was like, all right, I forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> very Stan Smith ish. Very cool. So what what's up for for a spherical yellow next? What what are you, are you going to try to ex- expand the, the 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 brand? Are we trying to keep it uh, you know close knit in the Nashville area? What's what's kind of going on? Yeah, what's next? What's next for, for you? Uh, so I have a personal ethos. Too. I'm going to keep using that word since you like it so much. You love it. Yeah. <laughs> So when I played on the Pro Tour, I always said that I wanted to be top 100 in the world. Mm-hmm. I didn't make it. I made it to 451 in the world. Mm-hmm. But I believe that if I had simply said, oh, I would like a world ranking, I might never have made it past 1,000, 1,200. So it is my mentality to always aim global, aim for the flipping moon yeah and if you don't quite get there you'll probably spill a lot further than you would have if you hadn't so i am in the process of actually purchasing the club that i'm running my business off at the moment which is really exciting big goal well done yes i have i have a vision 
but is to one day be able to say that I have clubs all across the world. Uh, at the moment, I'm focusing on the first one, but maybe if I keep my eyes on the horizon, like the Chris Ledu song, and hold my head up high, maybe I'll get that. Don't stop me now. Let's, yeah. let's, uh, let's go with Spherical Yellow Racket Club or something like that. Spherical Yellow Fitness and Tennis. Yeah. I, I like that. that. That's not a bad... Uh, you could work that in there. Are you, are you thinking about changing the name of the club that, that you're thinking about purchasing? And, and are you going to leave it the same? Or are you going to try the Spherical Yellow brand? Um, I think that's a really good question. Uh, I have my own ideas on how to move forward with that. But because I'm not quite there yet, I'm also going to be seeking some outside advice on branding and marketing specialists. Mm -hmm. um, I think that Spherical Yellow is going to remain the management company, but the club, each club that I own needs to have its own identity. So it's it's there's going to be some sort of balance there between the branding of the local club and the larger company. And I haven't finalized how that's going to work yet. So kind of like uh, with Club Corp, let's say, you're, that's a big company in the in the – Texas worldwide here. They, yeah. All their clubs are, are named differently, but they're under the umbrella of, of Club, Club Corp. Corp. So yeah. Spherical Yellow could be the the, the, the holding company sort and then parent, yeah. parent company for everybody. And yeah, that's going on the West Coast, too, with WAC, uh, Western Athletic Clubs. Club. Right? Midtown. That's another Midtown. Yeah. Lifetime. No, no, Lifetime. Lifetime is their own. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So, that's, yeah. They take so some good good examples to study there, yeah. yeah. Interesting to see what, you, what you're doing. I mean, yeah, mm. that's great that you're, you're venturing out, thinking, thinking further than just kind of a little local level, you're thinking more regional, national, international kind of right. kind of deal. So maybe maybe you'll get one of your students to Wimbledon. That, yeah. That'd be pretty cool too. Yeah. It, it would be, yeah. I'm sure you, knowing you, you've got some students with those kind of goals, right? I do actually. Yes. Yeah. Good. I'm trying to get them into college tennis first because I think that's a great experience. That sure. if you've got the opportunity to go for it, I would highly recommend it. Good. Um, Let's switch gears to uh, uh, tell us about your horse. You're passionate about riding a horse, huh? I have a horse, yes. Um, here, uh, she's about an hour away, unfortunately, uh -huh. because boarding horses in Nashville is not cheap. But yeah, I've, I've been known to do my fair share of uh, trail riding, and I dabbled with barrel racing for a little while. So. So racing and uh, why don't we switch gears to ice hockey? Yeah. Tell us about that. You're such an athlete. <laughs> they, they go hand in hand. When I yeah, think all the time. When I think of ice hockey, I think of horse, horses. You know, that's kind of, they go hand in hand. Logically, my next sport needs to be polo, doesn't that's it? That's it. It's, it's both. It's <laughs> hockey on horses. I fed up with people telling me that ice hockey was really hard. And I used to sit here in Nashville. Obviously, the Predators are a big influence. And we would have it on TV. And I'd say, I think I could play that. And everyone would be like, no, no, no. You've no idea how hard ice hockey is. You cannot play ice hockey. You know? And finally, I was like, I've had enough people telling me I can't play ice hockey. So I'm just going to play ice hockey. And now I sit at the TV and I go, yeah, I played yesterday. And so they can't tell me I can't do it. That's it. Had you ever skated before? Not really. Not really. Not really. You just picked up just, some skates but, and went. You know. Christmas time when you go to the ice rink with your parents. Sure, yeah, but no, nothing formal, nothing where you went no. out and had lessons and you skated. No. Yeah, 
Interesting. Wow. That's... But athletic, athletic person, and uh, you know, if you can slide on clay, skiing's not, uh, skiing and uh, yeah. and hockey, not that tough, huh? Right. You can skate backwards and play actually, defense too. I think that's a very good comment because actually, what I've noticed is that, for example, in the summer I like to go wakeboarding, but I only do it in the summer. Uh-huh. And after a day on the lake, I've got my legs are like total jello, right? Definitely. Right. When I started playing ice hockey, I did not get sore. And I think that the way that we use our legs on ice is very similar to the way we use our legs on a tennis court. Yeah, similar. The, the movement, the, the smoothness. The movement patterns and the way you push off on yeah. ice skates and on a tennis court is very similar. Interesting. So, so there could be a parallel even for ice hockey players, like soccer is good for tennis. I know that. That's... Yeah. Oh, absolutely, 100%. One of the kids that I coach, middle school kid, recreational tennis player, is really good, but he plays pretty high-level junior ice hockey. Oh, that's great. A, a quick aside, uh, one of our sound editors on our on TechSense uh, Productions, DMAC, his dad is an exercise physiologist. He works with Dallas Mavericks, Dallas Cowboys, and Dallas Stars. And would you believe the favorite off ice outside of the gym activity for these stars for these hockey players who are all you know six foot three 200 something pounds is tennis and not just tennis on a real court even foam ball banging and getting reps foam ball against a wall crushing the ball and they love it and i'm sure the movement is like you said margo very similar yeah wow. so, yeah Nashville last night. I went to the Preds game. Dallas, really yeah. They won against the Preds. I was not happy. I'm sure you weren't. Yeah, we're good with it, though. Yeah, they, I think we beat you on the playoffs last year, too. I'm a Dallas Stars fan. Yeah, I, I forgot about that game last night. I was sitting there going, weren't the Stars with the Predators last night? Yeah, because uh, that's... Uh, I, I didn't... I was going to let you follow up with that, so thank, yeah. thank you for letting us know that. But riding a horse also, I'm, I'm very interested, so did you ride horses growing up in England, or you just said, hey, I'm going to start learning how to ride horses? Is that something, <laughs> you know, where would that talk I come from? I did actually ride, but only like once a week. I wasn't like big into it, but I loved horses, and I really wanted to learn how to ride, so mm-hmm. I used to just go once a week for a lesson. Wait, what's your horse's name? Brigitte. Brigitte, a French name. Like Margot Bridget and Brigitte. Bull, like, like the singer. Yeah. Or Bridget Bardot. Brigitte yeah. Bardot. See, I'm going back to old references. That's, uh, I yeah, I barely get that correct. <laughs> no, I, I definitely do. <laughs> She's I definitely, French, you know? She's French. And yeah. for me, you know, it's a it's a pretender song. That's that's where I, I know Brigitte Bardot. Right. Yeah, yeah, you guys are just too young. We're, uh, yeah. yeah, thank you. you, you. got to keep up thank with you. I'm like Dennis Miller. I'm getting these awesome <laughs> the references. references. Yeah. yeah, people need uh, a phone handy when you... Mm-hmm. Craig Bell's on. Right. Hey, well, let's yeah. let's let's go a bit more serious. Um, uh, for the folks at home, I'm doing the behind the racket look right now. Uh, Noah Rubin, who was a, a friend of the show and a, a guest pretty recently, uh, explores a lot of stories behind the racket or stories behind the stories. Yes. And some of them, in fact, many of them involve mental health. Margot, we want to get your perspective, and you'd be the second guest in a row weighing in on this sort of thing. Your perspective on mental health challenges, anxiety, depression, as it relates to either athletes that you coach or you and your peers on the uh, on the Pro Tour 10, 15 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Do you, do you want to pick something a bit more specific? Because <laughs> otherwise I could probably...
for about three hours to answer that question. Well, you, you know, well, give us your own experience. So when yeah. you're out there, is you said you're on, that's why I asked you. I said, were you on your own? Did you have a coach? Did you have somebody going with you? Because that could be a fairly lonely existence, I would think, wouldn't yeah. it? Well, I think, so for me, there are, there are two main ways to answer this question. And one of them involves I was on the tour and the other one is post being on the tour because I don't think it really matters what your results are. Um, I think the story is fairly consistent when it comes to how you feel emotionally about everything. So if I were to talk about my time on the tour, uh, I didn't mind that I was staying in the cheap hotel and I didn't mind that my clothes smelt bad and that I was washing them by hand. I didn't mind any of those things, but I did put an enormous amount of pressure on myself to succeed because I'd been dreaming about it since I was six years old. And so every time I would step on the court, I would I would probably win the first game because you know, I wasn't a bad player and I could compete and I could smack the ball around and I would win the first game or two and then I would absolutely have a sort of deer in headlights moment where I thought, wow, I have a chance to win this. If I win this, it's not about the money because there's no prize money at yeah. that level, but if I win this, I get a world ranking and if I get a world ranking point, my ranking is going to go up to this. And then I've got a chance to get into this. And then I da 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 And these are not healthy thoughts to be having when you're on a tennis court. And because I was doing it on such a tight budget, I didn't have a coach to help me work through these things. Mm. So I had to try to figure out how to do it by myself. And I'd never really been presented with challenges like that. And so to be traveling around and trying to figure this out by myself and, and calling my parents for help. And, you know, they're very, very supportive, but they weren't really able to relate to what I was putting myself through. It was really, really difficult. And I remember very clearly being on the phone to my parents on a beach in Spain in the middle of summer. It was a beautiful beach. And just bawling my eyes out. And yeah. my father was saying, well, you know, it's raining here in England. And we've lit a fire in the fireplace and it's cold. And I remember that made it worse because I, just, I was sitting on this beautiful beach in Spain and I could think of nothing more than, than just being back in England in the rain in, in a comfort zone. Like I pushed myself so far out of my comfort zone and I didn't have the tools to handle with the pressure I was putting myself under. Mm. Um, and, and it's really quite a paralyzing feeling when it's the thing you've dreamt of since you were five or six. Six, yeah, Wimbledon. So that's, that's one aspect of the mental health that, you know, perhaps that's where a sports psychologist needs to come in or someone needs to help you manage your expectations or the pressures and, and that side. Then the, the other side is, is when you, you stop and you don't have competition in your life anymore. And again, you've been dreaming about it since you were five or six years old. And, and even if you were losing, the potential was still there. But once you've made this decision to stop playing and it's just gone from your life, it's almost like your life has no purpose anymore. And it, it's it's almost like, you know, before you would every morning and run hill sprints and have a good diet and go to the gym and then practice your serve. And everything revolved around being better at those things and when that's all gone you sort of get out of bed and you don't have a purpose it's very very difficult and I will say this I gave up in 2008 for the first time I went back 
for fun in 2014 and 15. And six and years later, I still struggle. I still to this day struggle because I don't 100%. I've had to find these ethoses. I've had to find my purpose as purpose, a coach yeah. and as a person. But I still to this day struggle with my, my personal purpose in life because that five-year-old girl will never leave me. She sort of haunts me at night because I feel like I let her down. Interesting, yeah, because I would think, and you, did, you probably didn't want to talk to anybody on the tour about this because that shows a weakness. And then if you're playing that person the next week and you, then they know that what, what all's going on in your mind, you really can't talk to anybody. That's why, that's why I was really curious. So it can be a bit perplexing to not ever been trained on the mental side, on the inner game of tennis as opposed to the outer game because you've, all you've done is hit balls all your life. And now all of a sudden this becomes more mental at this point than it does even physical because I'm sure you're in great shape. You hit good balls, but you know, now all of a sudden you start really seeing what it's like. You know, we've got people behind us on you know the tennis channel, and knowing what Daniel Medvedev has gone through probably to get there is much similar to what, what uh, Margot Carter has yeah. gone through. Uh, he just happened, maybe he had some more money, maybe he had uh, uh, yeah, the Russian Tennis Federation or whatever, you know, so, so sponsoring him, which might made something a little different and unique. Do you think if, if maybe not that, that uh, did money stop you? Do you think, or if, what if you had money uh, in order to be able to keep going would you stay out there or would you still struggle with, with what you're doing yeah my parents said if you get inside 350 in the world we'll support you for another year okay. and I, I didn't right yeah that, that's pressure also too when you know that i think that that would be you know you put pressure on yourself that i was going to ask if if the the, the losing bothered you because uh, i know that i've looked on Online and really, it's about really start breaking into about the top fifty. You start getting about a five hundred record. So anybody lower than that, you're losing the majority of your matches. Did that did that uh, bother you as much as as the process? I mean, there's you know, did, did that kind of weigh into some things as well? Uh, lose. I think as a tennis player, you're you're quite used to losing. I mean, it's a big Part of it. If, if you're not, you're not winning every single tournament every week. Sure. So there's always a loss every week. That's pretty normal, I think. Yeah, I tell people at the club. I go, if I would have won every match I would have played, you wouldn't be talking to me. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I'd, I'd be somewhere else easily. You know, I, I'm, that's kind of the way it is now. Have I won the majority of my matches? I don't even know that. I mean, all the matches I've ever played, I'm thinking I, I maybe have a 500 record. I, I don't know, but. Uh, uh, and I never really tried the tour. I like feel like that's as important. I don't think you look at your record, like 500 record, I'm thinking, I don't even really know what that means. Is that when it's 50-50? Yes. 50-50, yeah. 50-50. Yeah. If I've won half my matches, I've played 100 matches, I've won 50, I've lost 50. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just always curious about people on the tour. If, it, if the losing bothers you that much, you know, do you keep plowing on because, you know, next week I, I can have a chance of winning. You know, I can do something... Something. I think underneath it all, a tennis player is is always a, an optimist and always sees what they can do. I, I, I don't think, if you have that mindset, mm -hmm. I think tennis would be a very, very difficult sport to handle mentally. Right. Yeah, because yeah. at the higher level, because I mean, there's really not much difference, I would say, in you and you know maybe a person 100 spots ahead of you or 200 sometimes because it's just a point, maybe you missed a cross-court uh, by you know six inches, or you miss yeah, razor you, thin margins. Razor, yeah. Right, and so that's uh, or maybe got a bad lines call at a tournament that uh, 
you know, the, the ball was clearly in and somebody called it, you know, a lines person called it out. I mean, there's just... I think your typical tennis player is always going to see that. They're yeah, going to go, right. I can see, I know I can get there. Because they don't, then mm. they're not there anymore. They're not there. So the glass is always half full instead of half empty. So that's... that's so, yeah. So you answered my question. I, I liked Margot's point about how tennis players are, are often very positive or optimistic. And on the solutions side, you know, j just to dip back into Wayne's Bryan, Wayne Bryan's advice yeah. on Friday night, he talked about, in the answer about anxiety and depression, he talked about some dark times in his life and how helping others really helped him pull out of those things. And what yeah. I see from Margot, having to mm -hmm. get to know her the past few months, is... Of course, skill, mastery, confidence, but in her coaching, you know there's a lot of mental strength and mental health in the way you approach people. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And when you're on tour, do they ask you to go visit kids or do kids' clinics and that kind of stuff? Or after you practice, you just went back to the hotel? Or kind of what did you all do with your spare moment, just out of curiosity? Uh, in the U.S., they used to have some programs that they would do. Uh, ever, I think I, I think I spoke to some children once. I can't really remember. I think I played in Pittsburgh uh -huh. and spoke to some children. And but usually you do the programs, but you do it because they pay you. Right. So you get fifty dollars for playing in a program. Well, income. Uh, mm -hmm. Never but apart from that, downtime. Like I always tried to go and see whatever city was in at least once. Uh, do a tiny bit of tourism, uh, but otherwise there isn't really much. I feel like there isn't downtime. You're just always at the tennis club, mm. practicing, <laughs> warming up, eating yeah. properly. Yeah, you didn't get on the hop well, on, hop off. Properly, you mean <laughs> trying to sneak out some bread rolls from the hotel breakfast so that you've got free lunch? Not eating properly. You can't afford to do that. <laughs> get Never the get the Texas shaped waffle. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, well, let's switch gears yeah. since you're from Music City. Yes. We want to talk a little bit about music. Yes. Um, uh, your walk-on song. Uh, yes. What do you get the PA announcer to, um, to to play to get the crowd all ready to root for Margot Carter? I've already told you that. The answer is, I'm yeah. quizzing you. What is it? It's Queen. I know. I heard, I heard you it say is, that. It is. It is. I wondered if there was uh, something current or... Uh, don't you know, stop like me now, now, now. But right. it's Don't Stop Me Now. That is my song. That is, that is my song. That is it. So what, yeah. what 10 seconds, 15 seconds, is it just Don't Stop Me Now? Is, is, is it the beginning or is it the middle? The you know, chorus. The chorus. Uh, don't Stop Me Now. I'm having such a good time. Right. I'm uh -huh. at the control. Don't Stop Me Now. Oh, there call, is another one stop me from now. Queen. There's yeah. one line that's really good. Yeah. And yeah. it's... It's really cliche because it's the We Are The Champions song, but there's a line in there that says, it's been no bed of roses, no pleasure cruise. I consider it a challenge before all human race and I ain't going to lose. Right. And that line is such a powerful line as well. How can you possibly play poorly hearing that on your on your walk into a court? Right. Excellent. But it's also We Are The Champions, so you kind of need that to be your victory song after you've won. That's a post-match celebration. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. Did, you ever, did you ever see Queen in concert? Have you seen them? Uh, no. I think Freddie Mercury died. He did. When I was very young. Yeah. And yeah. they 
do with, I think it was Queen and Adam Lambert. They came to Nashville not too long ago, mm. but I'm really bad. I don't pay attention to the concerts that are here in town. Mm. People just call me when they have a ticket and I end up going. <laughs> That's but how you go. So is, yeah. that, so is that the one Is that the one band you'd like to have seen if you could see a band in concert? This is kind of a pop culture question. You know, uh, would you like to see them? Would you like to see Queen? I would. I would also... I would also like to see, um, oh, Michael Jackson's pretty spectacular, oh, too. Jackson. I wouldn't have minded seeing him. There's a pattern. Mercury and Jackson have some similar uh, energy, you know, and signature sort of moves, yeah. Can you do the moonwalk? Can you moonwalk? Like, oh, she, can, she can definitely moonwalk. <laughs> Listen, when I dance, I look like I'm playing tennis. I just bounce around. <laughs> Hitting a forehand or a backhand doesn't matter. It's kind of kind of Sometimes, moving. Sometimes, yeah. Why not? Yeah. So, so, where would you want to see MJ at? What venue? Wembley. Where would you see him at? Where Where would you like to see Michael Jackson? Oh, uh, in my house. Okay, in besides your house. <laughs> he does not do a private concert. We want to see it at a yeah. big stadium. You know, something like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, who, who, what's the first band you saw in concert? Just out of curiosity, then we're gonna keep on that theme for a second. Yeah. Was that back in England? Yeah. I have no idea. You don't remember the first band? Let's see. So let's see. Let's see. England. Let's see. I'm trying to think. Uh, 90s. 90s, yeah. I'm trying to think. Well, we were talking about The Cure. And that, that, but that right. was, that's more 80s. Uh, yeah, that's before English. her time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to think yeah. uh, all the English wonder, bands. You know, Oasis or... a concert or... in England. Yeah. What's that? I don't think I've ever been to a concert oh, in England. Okay. No, no concert back there. Okay. Interesting. Now, my parents used to take me to see musicals on... In London, but okay. not concerts. Which, which, what's the first musical you saw? Just out of curiosity. Uh, uh, I remember seeing Chicago. I really enjoyed Chicago. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's that's a good that's a good musical. Yeah. Not the band, but the musical. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I sang one of their songs in a concert. Yeah. So. That's cool. Okay. So one last question yes. about, about a band. This another pop culture. So this will this will check out your personality. Okay. So if you're in a band, if you're in a band, all right, totally fictitious. Lead singer, lead guitarist, drummer, keyboardist, or bass guitarist. Where where would you be positioned? Where is Margot Carter? Are you front man, front woman? I vocals. Hello. Right. <laughs> you're out front, right? I, I told you that. Lead vocals. Yeah. Give me the microphone. And possibly a guitar as well. I may or may not have karaoke in Nashville last night. <laughs> I bet you did. Do they have Don't, Don't Stop Me Now on karaoke? Oh, no, I would never try to cover a Queen song. That no. would be oh, too tough. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, on karaoke. I'm just on karaoke. Yeah, I mean. No, no, no. you got to... I take my karaoke fairly seriously in that I at least want to sound halfway decent and I don't want to do injustice to the artist. Oh, okay, so what, what did we do karaoke to last night? Yeah, what were some of your tunes last night? Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive. I Will Survive. Oh, okay. You, you like the disco days, huh? Oh, Yeah. What nice. about, who else in the disco era? This is your time, Craig. Oh, yeah, this is 70s. Yeah, this is your this era. Is terrible uh, silk shirts, gold chains, and yeah. bell bottoms. Uh, that was right, Studio 54, you know. <laughs> Sideburns down to here. <laughs> bizarre music in my playlist, and um, one of them Summer? is called Guilty Pleasures. Donna Summer? Um, oh, I do have some of her stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's on Guilty Pleasures. Yeah. Love it. Queen of I've got a lot of uh, ABBA actually in there. I've got some Bonnie Tyler. I've got some 
Harold Melvin. Who? Harold Melvin? Yeah. yeah. That's 70s right there. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I, saw your, I saw your playlist uh, in Arizona. I thought, that's pretty eclectic for a 30-something-year-old woman. That's pretty impressive. So good stuff there. Uh, was yeah. that my fall teens playlist? Or was that my summer playlist? I think it was the summer. <laughs> so you, you had a playlist kind of like when, when you're cooking. Yeah, seasonal. Like when she's cooking. Local when, ingredients. My, my playlists are all seasonal because what I find is that when you, you go back in time and you listen to a playlist that's dated like summer 2006 and it takes you back to that time, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, the, the, okay, you did by years. Yeah, yeah, the memories, the smells. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So, uh, another another couple of just pop culture. We don't want to take too much of your time. We, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll wind kind, it down with yeah. a few. Do you want to go films it. or uh, preferences? CB. Yeah, I'm gonna go East Coast. Okay, so this is an American question. Do you like the East Coast or do you like the West Coast? What for? I don't know. Do you like New York or LA? Are you more of a? And, and this if isn't I, this. Yeah, if I had to pick New York or LA, I'd pick LA every time. You would, okay. I do not okay. like New York. Yeah, that's we, that's kind of you know we, we kind of there's a different feel from the East Coast yeah. to the left to the West Coast. I would not say left but coast. I think yeah. It's like South Florida. Right. What about mountains or the beach? Are you a mountain person? Do you like to go skiing and that kind of stuff, or do you like to hang out at the beach? I like both, and in my ideal world, I would live near both. Kind of like California, then. So you, be, you, you yeah. can be in L.A., you can go skiing uh, in, in the morning and at the beach in the afternoon, right? Yeah, that's why I like the south of France, because it's similar down there, too. Well, yeah. yeah, Mediterranean. What, favorite season? Spring, summer, winter, fall? Favorite season? Well, it depends what for. Uh, you don't have a favorite? Because, of course, you can't go skiing in the mountains in mm. the summer. Mm-hmm. You have to go skiing in the winter, but I love the beach and I love the summer, so it's very difficult. You've got to enjoy all of them. Uh, yeah. That's that's my favorite kind of answer. Right, yeah, there we yeah. go. Non-committal. Yeah. All right. So uh, this one you have to commit to. Yes. Uh, favorite holiday, and this counts all for all twelve months. Yes. All four seasons. Favorite holiday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you? Do you like this time of the year? Christmas. You know that New Year's. Halloween, Thanksgiving. Is there something over in England? Thanksgiving's awful. I hate Thanksgiving. You're not a Thanksgiving fan. No, because it's my birthday and everyone over here is busy doing Thanksgiving. (laughs) That's why. They're trying to have a party and they're like, oh no, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite holiday? I don't know. I guess, well, usually I pick, I would would probably have to pick New Year's Eve because I'm usually in the French Alps for New Year's Eve. Nice. Wow. that's I like that. I like that. that's not a bad one right there. Yeah. So, uh, another another follow up then on that. Uh, what do you like to do in your spare time? Ride ride your horse, wakeboard. Yeah. Uh, so I like to go wakeboarding. I like to go horse riding. I like to go skiing. I like to go take my jeep off road. I'm oh. trying to play the guitar, but I'm not very good at it. Uh, I like to go skiing. I generally don't like anything that involves sitting still. I was going to say, yeah. you don't sleep much, do you? She doesn't sit still. No. Excellent. Yeah. A uh, couple, of, couple of final questions on, yeah. the, on the tennis before we let you go. Do um, you like to watch tennis on TV? Are you, are you a, do you like to sit down and, like, behind us we've got the tennis channel on? Are you a person that likes to, to watch tennis on, on the, the telly? I watch the slams. Anyone but in not- particular? Do you like them all? Do you have a favorite one? I have a 
been to the Australian yet, um, mm-hmm. but I think of the three that I have been to, Wimbledon is still just got that little bit of magic to it. Yeah. Would that be your favorite slam? If you could win one, which one would you win? Would that be Wimbledon? Home tournament? Yeah. Oh my gosh, if I win a slam, what a great question. Which one do I choose? Hey, man, do man. I really need to get picky? <laughs> we we, we know, ask good questions here at Athens. Yeah, this is we? tough. I think we, I would have to pick Wimbledon, yeah. Wimbledon, yeah. Hey, t- uh, tell us who you, would, you, who you are picking for the Australian Open in women's draw and the men's draw yeah. singles. coming up. About a month. Oh. Who do you like? Can and, I get nostalgic and pick Venus Williams to win one more slam before oh, she retires? Love please. it. Yeah. That's... Or Caroline Wozniacki since she is about to retire for yes, sure. Yeah. But I think Venus just, I just want to see Venus have one big win before she, she's getting old now. She's and I just think she, I would love to see her have yeah. a bit more of the limelight. Yeah, because Serena's 38. Is, yeah. I think uh, Venus is a year older, so she's yeah, 39. 39 point something, yeah. Do you think Serena gets that, that uh, 24th Grand Slam? I hope not. <laughs> you, you're not for it. Wow. Tell, tell, <laughs> us, tell us your opinion on that. Come on, Morgan. Yeah, don't don't yeah. hold back. Don't, don't, don't sugarcoat it. No. Uh-uh. No? Not you a fan. Me. I told you. You prefer Caroline. You prefer um, Venus. What about the men's draw? Yeah. What, what about the men? King? Are you a King fan? Who do I want to see win the men? You're going nostalgic. Would you want Roger? Uh, I mean, I am a Roger fan. I think he's great. Uh, I think Rafa's pretty special, too. Yeah. Uh, who would who would I pick? That's a tough one. CT uh, Yeah, I mean, I think Roger's time is, is run out, too. But if I had to pick a tournament for Roger to win one more time, I'd like to see him win Wimbledon one more time. So... For the Australian, I don't know. Why don't we let Rafa win it and change the buffalo? Yeah. Well, Margo, I'm very, very happy with your choice. I will uh, do my best, no? It will be very hard, but... <laughs> Rafa's on the line. Hey, Rafa. <laughs> Margo, hello. Uh... Would you like to give her an autograph? <laughs> yes. I would be very, very happy to sign the Adidas shoes of uh, Billie Jean. I'll, sh- I'll sign the other foot, no? Oh, I'll get some some of the bull shoes just for him to sign. <laughs> I love it. Good stuff. Now, another tennis question. Who, yeah. would, who would you pay to watch, you know, play? It could be a former player, current player, or it could be somebody in the past, you know. Who would you pay? Who would Margot Carter pay some hard-earned Benjamins or, you know, Hamiltons to uh, American money to, yeah. uh, to watch play tennis? Oh, man. Uh, I would love to go back in time to the era when I grew up watching tennis and mm-hmm. see Grafcellus or... Oh, wow. Oh. Like, wow. You, you are going, yeah. Good choices, yeah. yeah I like those. Steffi and uh, Monica Sellis, that would be amazing, yeah. To, to, yeah. Because I used to watch them, but I don't really remember it. And, and it'd be also kind of interesting to watch it from a, a perspective that's changed now, because that was, what, the... 30 years ago. That was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. late uh, oh, yeah. late, late 80s, 80s, early 90s. 90s. Yeah, right. yeah. Yep. yeah, but th- that is interesting to rewatch something as a coach now where yes, you're a fan exactly. as a little kid, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think probably see things differently, and I think that would be quite interesting. Yes, I, I agree. Yeah, something that's... like that. Who would you like to have played in your career when you're out there on the 
The tour is... Steffi Groff. Say again? Steffi Groff. Steffi Groff. Steffi Groff, okay. Yeah. Wow, she answered that really the, quick. The best of the best. I, I think we're understanding why she doesn't want um, Serena Williams to win more slams. <laughs> right. And keep it close, right? Keep it close, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Steffi was... Yeah, she was awesome. Uh... What fitness methods do you employ these days? Do you go to the gym? Are you a gym rat? Do you like to work out? Do you like to run? What are you doing? What is oh, so I go through phases. I have not hit the gym in two years. Um, I I am blessed or cursed, however you choose to see it, with the ability to grow muscle really fast. And I really enjoy lifting weights and I get kind of addicted to lifting weights and I wonder why I'm burning out of all of my clothes. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to be all muscular anymore and I don't particularly want to be. So I quit the gym two years ago, I'm just starting to get back to the kind of shape that I would like because it's taken me this long to lose and now I'm getting the itch again to lift weights again. I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm cycling back. <laughs> what, what's your bench, personal best? What's yeah. your what's your PB in the bench? Oh, I don't know. I just go in and I pick the heaviest weights I can and try to do the most I can. I, I never really sat down and recorded it. <laughs> the most non-committal person. That's like, I don't care about seasons. I don't care about <laughs> Come on, give us a... What's your PB on something? You know, do, do you, like, curl 50 pounds or... You know, do you get, uh, what's your favorite workout thing to do? Do you like work on kickboxing? Kickboxing. Oh, love wow. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, I did that for like three years here in Nashville. Oh, I bet you're really good at it. And I know I, I did some boxing. And when boxers see a tennis player, whether it's traditional boxing or, or kickboxing like you, they always seem to have this like, you don't just swing. You guys actually hit because you're so used to hitting and connecting on so many. Did you have that experience or did they comment like that for you? Yeah. Um, They were very complimentary with a lot of my technique that just came from, like, I guess, raw tennis. Uh Um, And it was quite interesting. The one thing was they're telling me that I was moving my feet too much. Uh Really? Like, actually calm down and use my feet to, to hit more effectively. Uh, so that was interesting because that's not usually a, a problem of mine. Usually you're trying to move more. So that was interesting. But yeah, other than that, no, kickboxing was a lot of fun. Uh, that's great. I really enjoyed it. Well, I, I want to on my side in the fight. There's no question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, she I'm going to stand it. behind Margo, man. She, she can land a punch and a kick. Yeah, there's no question. Hey, let's but get off sports. Fitness wise, like ice hockey. Uh huh. There is absolutely no workout I've ever done in my life that compares to what ice hockey will do to your lungs if you're really pushing. Really? And I've done a lot of exercise in my life. Yeah. But I, my lungs burn after an hour on the ice like nothing else I can compare it to. That's hmm. awesome. Well, it's kind of like the Miracle on Ice, you know, when they... I don't know if you ever watched that movie. That's an old one about the American yeah. team. And, and they just... They did lines back and forth from blue line to blue line and, and, and uh, the coach about killed them and they were just talking about their lungs. I just, that just made me think of that. Yeah. I, I would not have ever thought that ice hockey would gas you that much. Yeah. But it does. Really, like more than you can even begin to imagine. Like, my lungs burn after an ice hockey session for usually a day. And it's it's why during hockey games that they only play two, yeah. three minutes yeah. and they do shifts like that. It's, it's very it's quick. Because it's so demanding, yeah. Right. Yeah. Hey, um, 
Let's get off sports completely. We've done a nice job of talking yeah. about horses and yeah. hockey, hockey. Yep. and obviously tennis, boxing, and everything. Let's get off sports. Uh, Margo, what if you weren't involved in any sports at all? Uh, what do you think you would do, whether it's art or corporate world? What kinds of careers uh, would you explore? Um, when I was younger, I wanted to be a vet. Vet. A vet, so yeah. I've ended up in some form of medicine. Uh, I don't know if it would, I would have stayed with the veterinary theme, but I find medicine and uh, the body and the way the body works and healing the body and potentially even natural healing. I find homeopathy and mm -hmm. acupuncture and those types of traditional medicines very interesting too. So I'd have probably ended up going down that pathway. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because after kickboxing, you're going to have to study the body. Yeah. If you kick somebody's, <laughs> you need it. Yeah, you kick somebody's butt there, you know, you're going to need to study how, the, how to make them feel better, you know? Yeah, you'll need it. Yeah. All right, last question. Last CB, question. What do you we, think? We are rounding the fourth turn now, Margo. Greg, let's crown her. Let's crown Margo Carter as Commissioner of Tennis Internationally. Well, I think she's going to be for queen. The day. She's the queen. Queen. The queen. queen. Let's do it. In, in, in the British pop culture, you're Queen Margo, and you are the Commissioner of tennis, worldwide tennis. You've got a scepter in your hand that probably looks like this, only yep. I think yours is a black and white head racket. So your scepter, you can wave and you can change really anything okay. you want in the great game of tennis. And this can be pro tennis, uh, Fed Cup, Davis Cup, or recreational tennis. What, what do you do, Margot? Queen Margot, what does Queen Margot do? Well, I'm going to give you um, a fake answer. A fake? I'm going to give you a fake answer because I can't tell you the real thing because then I'm going to I'm, I'll be telling the world all of my secret plans. Oh, and you can you can tell me after the, we can do, we can talk after the show, but give us the corporate sort of yeah. uh, the 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 rehearsed answer. Go ahead. My fake answer is that I would uh, I would restructure the way uh, sponsorships and prize monies are organized in the mid-level pro tour. I like mm -hmm. it. I like it. I've, I would have someone in charge of uh, growing the game in that level, uh, working on the sponsorships and working on the prize money so that those people have a little bit of a fairer chance of working their way up to the top of the tree. Yeah. That's a popular yeah. answer in yeah. this group. Yes. And it's been a popular answer with folks like Noah Rubin, Even Christina Wayne McHale, and Wayne Bryan. Yeah, he said 24%, I think is what he said, of prize money or and, monies that and come he, in. And he's on the warpath to get that up to about 60%. And I think yeah. he is talking about the mid-level, like Mark yeah. said, but also right. uh, the big time. Because he was saying 24% only goes in prize money to the to players. players. And I think that also something else that could be done that would assist with that is if... There were, at the, the very top level of the tree in tennis, there's obviously a lot of money. Yeah. And sometimes I I think coaches have players that they would love to work with, and those players maybe can't afford to take as many lessons as they would like. And as a coach, I've got to think about paying the bills. Yeah. And so... I can't just give away my time. Also, that's not fair. I can't just donate time to one child and not to another. Yeah. So it has to be fair, and unfortunately, it is a business. But it's also a passion, and you want to work with the children that really want to improve. And so I think that something that would be really interesting is if the people at the very top of the tennis tree would maybe offer grants or scholarships, let's say, to coaches that they've identified 
motorbike that are doing really good work in the community and that that money be channeled into that coach's charitable aspects. Fantastic, so fantastic idea. Yeah. To, to, to do two or three hours a week extra with the children that you've identified that, that deserve it or you go into the community and you do some charitable work with a school that can't afford a tennis coach or something yeah. and and if the ATP and the WTA said alright we're giving out X number of money in scholarships to coaches that we've identified that would also help grow the game and it would trust the coaches, empower the coaches to go out to within the community and grow the game to people where the money doesn't exist Margo, I love your answer, yeah, and like we're going to actually bookmark that because yeah. a friend of the show, his name is Cameron Lickle, he's a friend of ours, he's the CEO of uh, Wow Sports, that's Vlander on Wheels, and he traveled with Mots a lot. He has a kind of a new business model, and we'll talk more with Cameron, we'll talk more about it, but it, it uh, touches on things like Margo's point about um, coaches willing to do some things without getting paid mm -hmm. up front, yep. and there's kind of a payment deferment uh, you know, kind of a binding thing. So it's a it's a neat model, and I love Margo's idea of having, say, you know, powerful and moneyed entities like the USTA, LTA, FFT, FMT, all the Tennis Canada, Tennis Australia, ITF. all these alphabet suits, a yeah, ABC, XYZ, yeah, and there's some money AJC, there, AJC, CB1, you know, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so I love your answer, and growing the game is really what we're all kind of into. The folks at home listening. I hope you enjoyed that, yes. and uh, yeah. uh, Margo, right you've been such a fantastic guest, and uh, we will keep in touch and talk soon. Uh, CB, you want to do the dismount? Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Yep. Well, thanks for listening to Season 1, Episode 23 of At The Net Podcast. Be sure to tell a friend or friends as we like your peeps, and hopefully they'll like us. And that's the tennis news as it seems to us. Good evening from Dallas, Dallas Texas. Texas. Margo, Margo. Yes. Carter, you've been a joy. Thank you. Wait, Margaret. Folks at home, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Margaret. Take care, Margo. Okay. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. Take care.